Max Verstappen wins the first race of his title-defending season after outmanoeuvring Charles Leclerc in an enthralling battle to the chequered flag. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato, and this is Round 2, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Powered by LeafCal. Keep track of employee finances and make resource planning easy. Search LeafCal in the Zero App Store. The Jeddah Corniche circuit could not be more different from the challenge posed by Bahrain, but yet again, Ferrari and Red Bull Racing were evenly matched ahead of the race. Sergio Perez had taken a superb maiden pole position and led the race early, but a safety car immediately after his first pit stop demoted him to fourth behind Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen and Carlos Sainz. Verstappen tried to pressure Leclerc into giving up the lead, but there was nothing to separate them until the final 10 laps. A virtual safety car cost the Ferrari more tyre temperature than the Red Bull racing car and suddenly the Dutchman was trying to poke holes in the Monegasque's defences. Lap after lap they battled until Verstappen, who was quicker in a straight line, broke through and he held Leclerc at bay by just over half a second at the flag to win his first race of the year. To help unpack an undoubtedly interesting weekend in Saudi Arabia for, let's face it, a wide variety of reasons, I'm joined by Luke Smith from Autosport. Luke, welcome back to the Strategy Report. Thank you, Michael. It's really good to be back on. And yeah, it feels like a while, but I think it was the back end of last year. I was probably last on here, so it's probably not that long ago. But it's uh, no, it's been a really good start to the season. Very exciting. And uh, yeah, really dramatic Saudi Grand Prix weekend, which was uh, yeah, excellent final fight in the in the closing stages between Verstappen and Leclerc. So, yeah, lots to get through, I'm sure. Knowing how tightly we've been packing the races, it might have only been a couple of months, but it probably could have well been 10 yeah. Grand Prix. So it, it may have been longer ago than we <laughs> realised. It was a, a certainly an interesting chapter in that evolving title fight. We'll, of course, get to that specific battle shortly. But I want to talk about this track first because second year of this circuit, already after the first year, changes were being made principally on safety grounds, from the motivation of the drivers having raised uh, issues particularly about visibility around the track. Not every driver was convinced enough was done. Admittedly, it was only a couple of months, uh, but still not not convinced that the overall safety profile of this track is enough. I thought it was really notable how many drivers, considering that Formula 1 drivers kind of their MO to say that nothing <laughs> frightens them and everything is yeah. good and fast, were willing to speak out about this one. Where do you see this one going? I think it's definitely something that Saudi needs to look at. And the race promoter, we had a chat in Bahrain a few weeks ago, and they said basically one of the limiting issues at the moment was time because it only hosted its mm. first Grand Prix three and a half months ago. So there's that. And there's also the site that it's built on. Obviously it's by the sea. It's got that massive sort of lagoon uh, in the middle as well. So it is quite difficult in terms of the actual space where they fit the circuit to make any big overhauls or anything like that. But, but the criticism, yeah, it was there in the first race. Remember I spoke to George Russell after his big crash with Nikita Mazepin uh, last year. And um, yeah, he said that it's lacking a lot from a safety and a racing perspective. And obviously they said, we're going to make these changes, improve the sight lines and, and all of that. But a lot of the drivers said, well, they're, they're the smallest changes they could really have made. Like it's sort of minor tweaks here and there, widen the final corner a little bit. But there wasn't anything like massively changed, sort of, I guess, the very sort of nature of the circuit. And in some ways, yeah, OK, it's a thrilling lap. It is the fastest street track in F1. That's really, really exciting. But you do, yeah, you just do get this impression that it just it's 
it, you're always a little bit uneasy watching, I think, in in a, in a way. And we saw that massive crash from Mick Schumacher in qualifying. Obviously, thankfully, he was okay, but ruled out of the race. And I think it's it's things like that that really make you sort of take a step back and go, Ooh, okay, we've got to look at this track and sort of what we're doing with it. Because it is just very noticeable that none of the drivers are like, yep, it's absolutely fine. Like, all of them have got something to say about the circuit. So I think moving forward, hopefully now that they've got a full year until we go back to Saudi, I think hopefully that'll be an opportunity for bigger changes to take place to maybe allay some of those fears a little bit more uh, because yeah I think it is necessary it's important and I think that anything that can be done to improve the safety is obviously yeah massively crucial that they actually get that done and across the line but it's uh, yeah it was definitely the changes that took place sort of between the two years they weren't exactly um, yeah wholesale or anything that made you go oh this is notably <laughs> safer or anything it is I, I do wonder as well for new tracks that might come onto the calendar if we've maxed out all of those big headlines fastest street track most corners all those <laughs> kind of things so maybe maybe we found the limit on that one <laughs> of course the other big talking point and we'll touch on this uh briefly as well because this could be a story that that is ongoing was the specter of a driver boycott from this race i thought this was really interesting not only because we don't get that very often in fact i can't even remember the last time such a thing was threatened but it felt like the first time that f1 expansion around the world into countries that people uh, say are controversial for reasons one reason or another and you can you can pick that for a lot of countries but certainly that is the case in Saudi Arabia the first time that that has received some kind of internal pushback inside the sport in this case being the drivers they've suggested that formula 1 is willing to continue talking to them about the uh, the ongoing race in Saudi Arabia it has a very long term contract that said do you think this is something that's just going to fade away, though? I can't help but think about last week when the FIA, only last week, incredible, when the FIA released that report into Abu Dhabi, and everyone's like, oh, why would you do it on the eve of qualifying? Well, no one's talked about it since. Is it going to be the same kind of thing? I don't know. I think it is something that we do need to keep talking about. I think it was a very, it was a very unsettling weekend for Formula One, I think, and I think that it did show, I think, the power that the drivers have. A lot of the drivers said in the sort of the lead up to the race when there's the, the discussion about human rights and sports washing that, look, we don't get to choose where Formula One races. But on Friday night in the wee hours of Saturday morning, they nearly did. They nearly did make that stand and say, we, we are not going to race this weekend. They were in agreement that that was their view. And it wasn't until they spoke with the team bosses, they spoke with F1 officials and the security forces in Saudi to have a full explanation about the measures that were in place that would keep them safe that, yeah, those fears were fully allayed and they decided to continue with the rest of the race weekend. But I think that the fact is that nothing's going to, dramatically change between now and next year i don't think so it is a yearly question that we need to keep having and it's a conversation we need to keep having as well and i've been writing about this today for a, a column that'll be in autosport magazine uh, this week and sort of saying look if f1 as stefano domenicali said a couple of weeks ago that got massively taken out of context but he said oh we could have a calendar of 30 races if we wanted it if we if we've got that much interest then do we need saudi arabia do we need to have this big question mark in terms of the sort of the morals and the human rights question about going there about safety concerns and things like this i think that's something f1 needs to really look at and think about because there is the idea of that okay if we go to these countries it's better that we go and shine a spotlight on these issues and try and enact positive change rather than simply ignoring it and just hoping the issue will go away but 
there also has to be signs of progress. That's the thing. And we do need to see year on year things change. We do need to every year come back and say, right, what has changed since the last time we're here? How can you show that by F1 racing here, there is actually a, a positive change for society ongoing? So I think, it, yeah, it's a very... It's a very important question for F1 moving forward. I think that, yeah, I think, but you get the the impression that it's not like they said, we'll talk about it, but it's not like, oh, this is seriously under review or anything like that. I could, could be wrong on that front. But I think, yeah, it's just going to be something that hopefully will be discussed and talked about. But it has just sort of really, I think, ramped up the debate about racing in Saudi Arabia and the, the sort of morals around that. This only sort sort of, I guess, make it all the clearer as to why there are misgivings about racing in Saudi Arabia. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's important everyone keeps talking about it, but we'll see if there is any sort of decision or changes taking place down the line. I think realistically, though, that, yeah, they'll sort of be making sure everything is extra secure for next year and really try and, yeah, make everything OK. But, yeah, I think it was a weekend that everyone who was in Saudi, I wasn't, must state for the record, but, uh, that yeah, they were quite glad to be going home by the end of it. The race obviously went ahead, but I want to talk about a race that we never really got to see, or we only saw a preview of, and that's the race that Sergio Perez wins from pole position, changing (laughs) tack completely now. His most complete first half of a weekend, I guess we can say, for Red Bull Racing, obviously got pole, first pole of his career, only the second time he's beaten Max Verstappen in qualifying as well. And I thought it was heartening, not only the result uh, itself, but the fact that Christian Horner said afterwards that, or noted, that this car is not as quirky, I suppose, as the last couple of years' cars. Certainly last year's car when Perez was in there. And we know that that car is a bit of a teammate killer, generally speaking. Uh, Alex Albon, he's back in F1. Pierre Gasly's obviously doing very well, but not in that team. What is Perez's prospects now? Because we're starting to see, it's only two races, of course, but we're starting to see that he's a, he's a little bit more in the mix. Is that enough for him to continue with this team, what we saw from him this weekend? Yeah, definitely. I think that, as you say, that on another timeline without that, crash from Nicholas Latifi we could very easily be talking about a Sergio Perez victory he was very unlucky with the timing of that safety car and he he didn't really put a foot wrong to be honest like he was brilliant in qualifying I thought that lap was absolutely fantastic that he managed to pull out and you're, you're right that the, there are the quirks that were so difficult for Perez last year and have been as you say it's a teammate killer with with Alex Albon before him and Pierre Gasly before Alex Albon those appear to have been ironed out, which is which is really, really good, I think, for Checo. And he always said through last year that he kind of underestimated just how different an F1 car could be. But the Red Bull um, yeah, RB16B was and that he was always under the impression that once the new regs came in, there would be less chance of that being a thing. And he'd, he'd be more sort of uh, more in line with it. And that's proven to be the case, which is really, really good. So, yeah, I think he can take a lot from this weekend. I think that obviously as this title fight goes on. I know it's only round two, but if we are looking at a Verstappen versus Leclerc title fight, then of course Perez, you've got to imagine, would be the man to try and play support for his teammate. But I think there's going to be a lot more opportunities this year for Checo to try and yeah, fight for podiums, fight for poles and hopefully fight for wins because he, he deserves it. He's, I think, proven everything this weekend as to why Red Bull made exactly the right call to keep him on for this year. And if he can just keep that going, then yeah, there's no reason why Red Bull can't have solved their number two driver problem. I think it's uh, yeah, looking quite positive. Uh, so yeah, a really good performance by Perez this weekend. Very unlucky. I think it's a bit of a shame that yeah, he wasn't able to properly get the chance to, to fight for the win. But I think that he can't really look at anything he did as being anything too wrong I think he did 
pretty much everything he could. I can't believe we're talking about another Nicholas Latifi-inspired safety car changing the outcome of a race so soon. It's too soon. It's too soon for that. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> but there's a, a second part to Perez's race, and it came after that safety car. Uh, he, he dropped to fourth, but he was third on the road for a little bit with a little bit of a dispute about who was ahead of the safety car line when Carlos Sainz coming out of his pit stop. It was Sainz, and it was pretty clear from the replays, once you saw the replays anyway, that he was just ahead, marginally ahead, maybe a metre at that safety car line. It's become a little bit controversial in the aftermath, certainly if you're Carlos Sainz anyway, uh, that that position wasn't given back during the safety car period. It was given back uh, at the first lap of the restart. Is it too cynical, Luke, to suggest that this was a deliberate ploy by Red Bull to ensure Sainz wouldn't be in a position to attack Max Verstappen? Because that does sound very on brand to me. It does. That'd be some brilliant gamesmanship, wouldn't it, if that was uh, that was how they were doing it. But it's... Uh... I'm not sure if it was part of the new rules for this year that uh, Niels Vittich, the new race director, is putting in where it's down to the teams to decide, right, do we give that position back or not in terms of making making that making that call? But I think it's uh, yeah, I mean, that's I mean, if you're Red Bull, though, and you can do that, then absolutely. yeah, You need to sort of think about it and think, well, okay, well, that'll give us more of a chance to keep him uh, away from Max and sort of like ensure that we don't lose even more positions, perhaps. So, yeah, if if it was gamesmanship by Red Bull I think fair play that's exactly the kind of thing you should be doing uh, yeah Carlos maybe wasn't too pleased afterwards but did manage to get P3 in the end and, and get that uh, double podium in the bag for Ferrari and a, a strong result for Ferrari regardless of the fact that they didn't win the race and let's talk about that leading battle because while well, it was a cagey middle part of the race I guess first 40 of 50 laps we could also say excluding that parallel Sergio Perez part where he, he was in the lead of the race it is impressive to consider that you know we went so much of the race we even had that battle at the end only half a second is separating these two very different cars really visually dramatically different cars and that before that virtual safety car which we'll talk about in just a second they were so close that Verstappen pretty much couldn't make a move he may as well have been driving against uh, the same kind of car with a v- different Verstappen in it perhaps even the virtual safety car was that other turning point of this race. It's in the same way that the safety car was earlier on. It seems like uh, Red Bull Racing, and who knows if this is going to be a characteristic of the car, it's too early to say, just fired up its tyres a little bit better and closed that gap a little bit, and suddenly we've got this battle. This is still a, bit of, a little bit of a difficult question to ask and answer so early on in this season, but is this more confirmation what we subsequently saw that these rules do seem to be working? Because it felt a little bit more lukewarm after Bahrain in the sense that there was a lot of optimism and then some drivers were not as convinced. There were some very happy drivers after this race. Is this is a strong sign that they really are working? Yeah, I think, it, I think it's as good a sign as we could have at this point, to be honest. I think that the fact that we're seeing not only those lead uh, not only those lead fights and obviously using drs and stuff that was led some brilliant tactics let's face it in those closing mm-hmm. stages but right the way through the field there's lots of little battles going on and we saw yeah a good amount of overtaking throughout the race i think that's a really really positive and yeah Jeddah, i mean it's a track that, okay it's very high speed but it could be a bit processional in places because it is so yeah there's sort of kind of one line basically through all the corners and everything and it can be very difficult really to to, to get close if, if the cars aren't, aren't working well and i think that it's it is a really positive sign that yeah we've had now it's two for two two really good races on the bounce and i think melbourne is obviously going to be a big test for that because that's obviously a track that has undergone big changes for this year to try and sort of make it easier for overtaking but i think if that delivers a good race and we can be like yeah these this is really cracked it which would be which would be great but i think that 
for right now, I think F1 is, is as pleased as, as it can be. I think that it's been a really positive step. And the sort of the managing of expectations going into the season was kind of the idea of, well, like, hopefully it works, but it can't be worse. Like, it can't be as bad as it was. And I think that we are already a long way ahead of there. Like, it does seem we're actually in a, a pretty decent place with it all. So, yeah, I think DRS definitely played a big, big part this weekend. But... For the most part, I think F1, yeah, can be pretty pleased the new rules are starting to have their desired effects. Let's talk about some of those tactics, because I certainly thought it was notable in Bahrain that Max Verstappen tried pretty much the same move three times until it stopped working for him. It would seem like a bit of a blunt attack. This week, we certainly saw much more thinking from the cockpit from both drivers. All Every attack was met with a different kind of defence, and Leclerc managed to repel most of them, but ultimately not all of them, of course. I think it's really interesting that we're seeing what feels like a little bit of a different kind of racing. And I suppose some of this is the rule. Some of it must be that the cars are very close. But I started thinking about last year and a lot of the battles we saw between Max and Lewis were often quite different strategies, meeting somewhere near the end of the race. And then, you know, if they caught up, they would probably pass pretty easily. Are we optimistic or can we be optimistic that with cars like this, we'll see more of this kind of battling? Because in, in a sense, this is a really control race, isn't it? Exactly the same strategy, exactly the same tyre life. Obviously, the track is the same. Cars seem very closely uh, related in performance terms. This almost does feel like a different kind of F1 racing. Well, certainly to recent times anyway, not obviously in the history of the sport. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really, it's really, really cool to see as well. I think we've got two very, very similar drivers in terms of how they operate and how they think, which is, which is really, really exciting. And I think that last year it was kind of, it was always the idea that, yeah, as you say, Hamilton and Verstappen will kind of meet on wildly different strategies and then it would be a case of either one easily passing the other or yeah some sort of uh, some very aggressive moves normally from Verstappen then Hamilton sort of backing out and sort of playing the long game a little bit more and I think with Leclerc and Verstappen it just does appear that yeah Max isn't as he's not as not being as aggressive I don't think I think there's maybe been a bit more measure to it and I think that as you said that was perfectly displayed through the um through the fight at the very end compared to Bahrain where there was I think a lot more thinking behind it and it was a case of okay look I'm going to bide my time I know when I need to get DRS and how I've got to make this work because we saw in Bahrain again he would get DRS get the move done into turn one then be repassed into turn four so it it, it had to just take a little bit more planning with this but I think it, it really came off well in the end so I think it is again really encouraging that hopefully these cars that they're so similar and that if the development rate sort of stays pretty much in line, we can see Red Bull and Ferrari slugging out all season like this because I think it's, uh, yeah, it's just really, really cool. Like, and it's good to see not only two like really good battles, but also really clean battles. There was not a single question came out of either of the last two weeks of, oh, like he pushed him wide there or did this or did that. Hopefully that lasts right the way through the year because that's what we want to see. I think the fierce of the title fight gets, that's more unlikely. <laughs> but I think it is, yeah, really, really encouraging that um, yeah, these two drivers have obviously raced each other since Formula 3 and sort of came through all the ranks together. They, um, they've, um, yeah, that I think it, they could produce a really good title fight if this carries on like this. Racing without incident, maybe yes. the <laughs> phrase of the year. <laughs> maybe the way to define the title. Could be the, the title of the DVD review at the end yes. of the year, <laughs> hopefully. Fingers crossed. Better than it was fair. <laughs> <laughs> we could go through everyone. Was that twenty twenty? Was that twenty sixteen uh, when that I happened? Actually, I don't know. I I should really commit these to memory because I'm a big fan of the DVD title. It was definitely a, a Hamilton yeah. Rosberg. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was oh, fair, or they tried their best. It was one of them. One of the very <laughs> unusual titles, wasn't it? Uh, the, there's no doubt, though, and this is. 
I find this an, an interesting debate. It's, of course, happening online where all the best debates happen. But there's no doubt that this was a fight over DRS, really. It was a battle to position yourself best for DRS. There was not so much overtaking, let's say. There was there was one pass before the DRS zone. It was Max Verstappen, but he subsequently lost that position because of DRS. There's no giving up on DRS, obviously. As much as these rules might be working, it's still a very aerodynamic formula. The fundamentals of that are always going to be the same. There's always going to be a, a degree in difficulty of following another car. It seemed very powerful here. Is the lesson perhaps, and this is a good thing regardless, that we will be relying less on it? Will we be seeing a shortening of zones, do you think, after this? I mean, it, it's circuit-specific, as all DRS zones are, but... Is it promising that maybe we'll get back to first principles for this system whereby it's just enough to give you a little bit of an extra kick without a pass? Yeah, hopefully. I think that's that's really the goal. I think that when these new regs were announced, that a lot of people did express a hope that, yeah, DRS can kind of be there to begin with. But then if we get to the point where we can kind of wean it off, that would be really good. And I think that, yeah, the, the past uh, past weekend showed that. I think that if we'd have only had if we'd have only had that DRS on the main street, I think that would have been enough. Mm. That would have been really good in terms of, yeah, let the drivers go for it. And you would have probably avoided this kind of gamesmanship, which was, I mean, it was really exciting, but it also kind of does defeat the object. So it's like, oh, I'm going to slow down to get this mm. deliberate aid. It's like, well, that's not really what you should be going for. It should be, no, I got a chance to go for the overtake, so I'm going to go for it. So I think that, yeah, there's it's definitely something I think for F1 to look at moving forward. I think that all the drivers and team bosses will be on the same page for that. Leclerc and Verstappen, they both said after the race that, yeah, without DRS, I probably wouldn't have done any of those moves. So it is definitely beneficial to have it, but it's just a question of to what extent and how powerful do we want it to be. And I think that, yeah, it's maybe maybe felt a little bit too much at times through the through the uh, through the lap at Jeddah, but I think that it it's again it's an evolutionary process these new regs. I think F1 is very much open to the fact that yeah if we can get it right and get to position we can slowly get rid of drs and that would be a real real ideal situation until then though then yeah let, let's keep it and sort of keep it going because if it can give us a race like we had in that battle at the very very end i mean that's really exciting to see there's one extra component to all of the this battle that that sort of went into making this such a tight fight that was the tires and that's been the that, that last component of making racing a little bit easier isn't it because fundamentally the problem with the old car other than losing downforce was that you'd overheat your tyres because you'd not have enough downforce to sort of keep them in the temperature window. The medium tyre here, which was the middle one in Pirelli's compound, did seem still relatively delicate. There's a lot of pace management. There'll always be some with tyres. They're consumables. But it was, I thought, really encouraging how Max and, and Charles both talked after the race about the hard being extremely durable. Max talked about qualifying laps, which is sort of like the dream, right? If they could do qualifying laps every lap of the race. I mean, Pirelli hasn't really had a chance to test these tyres properly, considering the cars are all new. Is that really now where do you think F1's focus should be? Because if we can get tyres like that, theoretically, that are not too hard for the track, but obviously go really well, then surely even F1 Twitter will have nothing to complain about other than uh, drive to survive. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves here, Michael. But it's, no, it's, um, it, it's, it is encouraging, definitely. And I think that the tyres obviously have been such a, 
a big talking point, I think, ever since Pirelli took over the tender. And this has been such a big change for this year. And again, it was the idea that yeah, you'll be able to push them for longer and there won't be that same level of overheating. And I think that, yeah, the early signs, again, have been pretty encouraging. And it does kind of show the direction that F1 can go down, hopefully, where, yeah, this was a race where it wasn't extreme tyre management or anything like that. It was a case of, yeah, they were able to push and then, yeah, sort of have periods like the virtual safety car, just let them cool off a little bit. Then Verstappen, as you said earlier, got it up to temperature a bit quicker. Leclerc struggled a lot more with his rear tyre we saw them having a few um, twitches coming out the final corner as they were sort of going a little bit but but it is it is really good to see that yeah they do feel that they can sort of push for longer and not have this same kind of overheating problems so i think that yeah it's it's a it's a good sign again like it's again it looks like the 2022 reg changes are having the desired effect and it's sort of weirdly that it's like oh this thing we're doing to make things better is actually making things better and i don't know if it's speaking too soon but it's no it's really encouraging so yeah i just hope we can see more fights like this through the year and that yeah if it sort of shows that we've got the right tire sort of formula and like right window in place then hopefully Pirelli can take that and say right if we can get more races like that that's the direction we want to go down all the cynicism built up over years with Formula One being blown away yeah, know, by yeah. a couple of good changes. Maybe, maybe. Fantastic. Half a second. Half a second's all that split them at the end. Had the race gone another lap, maybe Leclerc would have got back ahead. Another lap after that may well have continued until everyone went home. <laughs> uh, let's talk about one other particularly close battle. This was between the Alpine drivers, Esteban Ocon, Fernando Alonso, right at the start of the race. Some really close fighting between them, some assisted by DRS, some of it not necessarily. I thought what was really interesting here was that one that Alpine continued to let them race and they said the agreement was that they could race at the start of the race. That's great. Everyone wants to see racing. But ultimately, the reason teams typically don't like their drivers to race other than not wanting them to crash is because it slows them down. And as a result, we did see... Valtteri Bottas enter into that fight. He passed Esteban Ocon. Of course, it's all a little bit academic because both Ocon and Alonso retired. (laughs) But... I thought that that approach did seem like for a team that this weekend was was quite close to the front of the midfield, perhaps at the front of the midfield, there were more points on offer that ultimately they didn't score before reliability came into it. Do you think that's going to be... I mean, Alpine's always been a bit of a midfield team. Maybe this is the year they make a little bit of a step forward. Is that going to be something they need to adjust to in that situation? Yeah, I think maybe because... Again, as you say, like you don't want to be slowing each other down. Like you don't want to do things that will directly compromise your race. And although, okay, you want your drivers, yeah, to, to race and to be able to fight like that, it it just didn't appear to it didn't appear to do them much good. No, it did sort of like if I mean, say Arcon had had lost that fight to Norris by one tenth of a second, he ultimately obviously won it. You might look at that and go, well, yeah, well, how much that was sort of in the rooted in the early fights now obviously we had the safety car and the virtual safety car and all of that but yeah i think that i think the fact that yeah bottas was even allowed to get into that fight is kind of like well it's not really like you shouldn't be really at that point like you should be able to uh yeah get the drivers sort of manage where they are and sort of keep keep with each other and, and play the team game so i think it's something that yeah i think alpine will probably go away and look at and it's just that balance as you say of how do we keep it fair so they can fight each other but also know that look you've just got to worry about keeping us in fifth and sixth instead of fifth and seventh or whatever positions they were in at that point it is yeah it's really really important so yeah it was it was quite surprising definitely but it was again another pretty good weekend for alpine and i think that even after the um second test in bahrain i, I was sort of looking at them thinking oh i'm not mm. not really sure about this and track side the car didn't look brilliant it didn't really do anything very eye-catching but they do appear to be sort of solidly in that midfield fight. And as you said, this past weekend, probably towards the front of the midfield. So it's encouraging signs for Alpine. I think they can be pretty pleased with what they've, 
done in the early part of this year. But yeah, they will surely look back on this and go, well, maybe that wasn't our, our smartest move. Just saying, yeah, just go for it, lads, because uh, it's, um, yeah, sometimes pays off to be a little more conservative in your approach. I enjoyed how much uh, Esteban Ocon was pleased with that race afterwards and how not pleased Fernando Alonso seemed to be in the aftermath as well. So it's definitely some contrasting uh some contrasting feelings about that one. Also, though, to go back to those rules that Bob must have now said afterwards that he didn't expect them to be able to race for that long <laughs> that closely. But with these rules around this track, it worked out. So, look, another positive sign there. It would be remiss of me not to talk about Mercedes here as well, of course. Uh, almost the story of the weekend. One of the many stories of the weekend, I guess, really, was Lewis Hamilton qualifying and being knocked out in qualifying uh, in Q1 and recovering to score uh, only one point, which he wasn't even sure he was going to score because it's been that long since he finished 10th. He had no idea he even got points for that position. It was obviously the imperfect weekend for Lewis, considering that George Russell had pretty much no problems qualifying and finishing at the head of the midfield, qualifying one position down, but ultimately finishing with no one around him at all. One of the loneliest races I can remember in fifth. So the car is, well, it's still not very good, but it's not worse than it was in Bahrain. Hamilton's race was pretty poor. Strategy-wise, he missed the pit stop entry right at the end with VSC. Confusion over whether or not the safety, uh, the pit lane was closed. I guess PTSD flashbacks to Monza a couple of years ago. It just seems like when things go wrong for Lewis, they go wrong in every respect, don't they? I feel like it was just one of those weekends for him. It was, yeah. And I think it was, again, another sobering weekend for Mercedes. And the idea that all went through testing when they were talking down their pace and everyone's like, yeah, okay, lads, we hear this every <laughs> single year. But it's proven to be very, very true this year. And yeah, I think that this really proved that it was Hamilton's first Q1 knockout, I think on pure pace since 2009, which is incredible. Yeah. So it was it was a real, real struggle for him. And I think that it does sort of show where Mercedes are right now. And even in the race, obviously, after that late pit stop, um, he came up behind Kevin Magnussen and then couldn't couldn't catch and pass him. So that really does show where they've where they are and i saw a tweet today from the mercedes twitter account like congratulating haas on a great fight and it's like if that had been 12 months ago you'd be saying what on earth has happened here like how is it mercedes and haas who are fighting each other on track but that's that's where we are that's where mercedes are right now and yeah it was a, a tricky weekend for lewis hamilton i think that i i think that they yeah they will look back and sort of go what can we learn from this because clearly they are not where they want to be and Tosa Wolf said that it's uh, been a painful exercise in humility was uh, sort of paraphrasing what he said but I think that's it's very true that after yeah winning eight titles in a row and now they already find themselves 40 points off Ferrari after just two races and Mercedes we know I mean they, we, they're going to come good we know that they will get to the bottom of what is wrong with this car but they really yeah, do need to get a move on with it because they've not been able to make any massive strides between Bahrain and Saudi. We've got a two-week gap now to Australia and it's kind of like it's starting to sort of space out a little bit more the calendar. So that that's going to help them probably. Time will be on their side, but they do really need to get to the bottom of it fast because right now it's just it's not where they should be and there is more potential in the car, but this porpoising... George Russell is responsible for 99% of our issues. And you've got to think that, yeah, that until they get to the bottom of that, they can't really get anything else out of it or extract any more performance. It's never a good sign when you've got your drivers still experimenting with setup right up to qualifying. I think it really underlines that there's just not enough certain about uh, that entire package. Finally, I do want to talk about reliability, something I didn't think I'd be talking about so early in the season. We've seen an unusual amount of engine problems, I think, for the first two rounds. And a lot of them are focused on the Honda-built 
engine after one year off i guess that sort of returned a little bit as an idea that the honda engine might be unreliable although i guess we need to call them red bull powertrain engines <laughs> that's just the way it is now uh but they're also of course a problem for fernando alonso at the end of the race daniel ricardo also had a mercedes power unit problem and there's all kinds of speculation that that engine is just generally underpowered I mean, this is going to obviously bite a lot of these drivers back towards the end of the season. Maybe even earlier. If you're Yuki Tsunoda, who had a failure on every day of this weekend, poor guy. Uh, are you surprised how early, considering these engines are not only not changed from last year, other than being upgraded, of course, the rules are the same, but also that we're entering a freeze moment for the engines. They all have to stay the same for the next five years or, or four years. That we're seeing so many problems because that really shouldn't have been the thing this year no i guess but also i think that the fact there was this freeze coming in i guess they all sort of thought well we need to really make sure we get everything absolutely maxed out and as we want it to be before the freeze so i think that would have been sort of pushing them in terms of finding performance i think um renault said in the off season that they were happy to sort of sacrifice reliability for a bit more performance because they were sort of that desperate mm. to make a big step forward and i think there's that and there's also the new e10 fuel as well that's come in as well and we don't really know sort of what impact that has had on on either sort of the reliability of the red bull uh, powertrains or on the straight line speed struggles that the mercedes power car has been having but i think it's definitely a valid question and yeah i think they they they're still gonna be sort of getting to grips with these new power units and obviously the freeze of i believe come kicks in pretty soon i think it's um yeah it's been uh i think that they they they've they i think they just need to sort of understand them a bit more basically but yeah it has been surprising there's been so many issues this early on again that you wouldn't the architecture and stuff you wouldn't have expected to change a huge amount so i think that it will be interesting as the year goes on like how much of an issue is that do we see sort of a, a litany of penalties towards the end of the season when people are, uh, are running lower on power units um i think even after practice in bahrain bossas was already onto a second control mm-hmm. electronics so it's, it's little things like that where it's like down the line how much of an impact is that going to have so we'll see but it's uh, yeah it's definitely been interesting it does appear to be yeah those uh, those uh, rebel powertrain cars that are maybe struggling a little bit more on the reliability front so far it's too many letters on the engine block that's the problem <laughs> should have chosen a shorter name an interesting race in saudi arabia it is a long season still to go bad news for reliability good news hopefully for an evolving championship story luke a pleasure to have you back on the strategy report as always mate looking forward to seeing you in melbourne in a couple of weeks This is a very long season featuring a lot of circuit variety, but already two different tracks have shown virtually no difference between Ferrari and Red Bull Racing in terms of outright performance. And Leclerc and Verstappen have so far proved a really good match in battle. Carlos Sainz and Sergio Perez aren't too far behind too. If they can join the fight in the next few rounds, we could be on for a real thriller. Thanks very much to Luke Smith for joining me to wrap it all up. The Strategy Report is powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Just search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. You can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato and I'm very pleased to say I'll be back in just a couple of weeks to review all of the action from the Australian Grand Prix.